Hey, uh, open your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be this one on the floor around you. It's page 800 in this Bible. It's a nice round number right there. We're in the final week of this series called Staying in Love. And the question we've been addressing, uh, what we've been attempting to answer over these past four weeks is this question. Is it possible for two people to fall in love and stay in love forever? In other words, how do you get to the natural end of your marriage? Have you ever thought about this, that all marriages end? Every marriage on earth is going to end. You know, uh, some of them die of natural causes and some of them are killed. Uh, and so how do you get your marriage to the natural end, in other words, till death do us part, with love still intact and even still going strong? You know, love seems to come so easily and so effortlessly at the beginning of a relationship. In fact, for many of us, it's the, the reason why you fall into love. There's that white hot passion that draws you in. You want to see what? white hot passion looks like. Take a look at this picture right here. That's my wife, Benita, and me. Uh, that, is, that is about a year and a half or two years into our marriage, and we are just so in love. Um, my hair is completely brown. There's not a single strand of gray on it, and her hair is completely big. And, um, and we are just, we like our two kids with dreams, and we are in love. And we're thinking about, we're both, we were both in school at this time, and we were thinking about I don't know when that's going to end and our real life's going to start. We had all these dreams and ideas and looking forward to the days when we would start our real life together because when you're in school and working, you're not really in real life, right? You just feel like you're not there. But you know what? Not everybody was excited about us as we were. I remember my wife in particular had some friends that uh, didn't, weren't really sure that I was the right guy for her. Uh, they would say things like, you know, Benita, you just don't blossom around Steve. And um, people, I don't know if it was like different expectations or some weakness that I had or perceived incompatibility or who knows what. But the reality is that now here we stand and we are two months away from celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. And uh, yeah, I just say that just for cheap applause. That's the only reason I wanted to tell you that. <clears throat> and uh, I say this with great confidence. Benita and I are not still in love because I married the right person or because she married the right person. That we had to make a choice early in our marriage, even before we were followers of Jesus. Neither one of us were Christ followers when we met. But we made a decision, an intentional decision to be the right one for each other. We chose to be the person that the other would want to be married to. We had to make, we've had to make a choice to love one another. Because here's the thing, over time, those initial feelings, that, that white-hot passion, that, that fire that once you just naturally experienced with your spouse, that, that thing that, for, let's face it, for most of us, drew us into that relationship, uh, well, over time, it doesn't seem to come as naturally anymore. That fire has a tendency to want to die out. And if we're not intentional about keeping it flaming, it can quickly become nothing more than a few smoldering coals. And, and so there are many couples who reach the finish line together. But many of them don't get there with that same intensity or that same passion they first had for one another. They haven't stayed in love. They've just stayed together. And so while many Christians today especially take an aggressive stand against divorce, like I want to suggest today that we take an equally aggressive stand toward love, for love. So it's not just about staying together for the sake of staying together or staying together because the Bible says that's the right thing to do or staying together for the kids or staying together for financial reasons. You know, so I'll endure being with this person, that what we would realize is, uh, is much greater than staying together, that the call for Christians is much greater than sticking it out, that the call for us as followers of Christ is to aggressively pursue love. 
And so that's what we've been talking about over this four weeks. And so week one, we talked about one of the keys to staying in love is to make love a what? A verb. Make love a verb. You don't, it's not something you fall into or fall out of. It's something that you do, and it's a decision that you have to make. Week two, we talked about Jesus as our new model for staying in love, that the importance of submitting to one another as Christ submitted to us. And then week three, last week, uh, we saw Mr. and Mrs. Mug. If you were here, you probably remember them. We talked about the importance of guarding your heart, that you and I have things that we bring into every relationship. And when we have conflict, those things can kind of come out. And so what's important is that we guard what goes into our heart. And so this morning, as we bring this series to a close, I want to talk about a decision that each and every one of us makes, probably on a daily basis. And it may not even be a decision that you're aware that you're making. But I'm hoping today that we can raise the relationship about this choice that we make over and over again in our relationships. I want to raise the awareness of that. So this is something you did intuitively when you fell in love, but maybe, uh, as I said, as time goes on over time, it's not quite as intuitive, and so you've got to make a purposeful decision. Uh, And this decision, this choice, is something that I'm referring to um, found in 1 Corinthians 13. And so it's a section of Scripture that you probably know as the love chapter. If you've ever been to a wedding... Even if you don't know your Bible, you've heard this. Uh, maybe you've even gotten a wedding invitation at some point in your life. It's been printed on the front. Uh, and so here's what this passage says. 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to start with verse 4. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. And up to this point, everything seems pretty self-explanatory, right? I mean, we might not put it into practice, but at least we agree with it, right? I mean, you can't look at anything in that and go, no, I don't agree with that. Yeah, love is patient. Yeah, I think love's probably patient. Yeah, it's probably kind. No, love probably doesn't envy. And even, so even the reality is, even if we're not practicing love like this, or maybe we've never even seen love like this, uh, they're not hard concepts to understand, I mean, it's fairly straightforward instruction. But then, this next verse, verse 7, is the part that honestly doesn't make quite as much sense to me. In the initial reading of it, you might stop and think, wait, do I really believe that about love? I mean, is that really the way it is? I'm not sure that I agree with that. And if you're a Christian, maybe you even think, okay, I understand that this book is the Word of God, and it's inspired by Him, and it's divine, and so... Because of that, it's our basis for truth, and because of that, I'm just going to leave it alone. Like, I don't understand it. I'm not sure I agree with what it's saying, but God said it. It's got to be right, and so I'm just going to move on. Maybe some of you operate that way when you read something in Scripture that you don't agree with. Uh, rather than seeing if it changes your worldview or changing your opinion, uh, maybe you just go, oh, you know what, I'm just going to leave it alone. But here, here's what Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It's so profound. It's so... Um, insightful, and as we look deeper, I think we're going to see what he's getting at. He's going to take four different phrases, and he's going to use them to point to one key truth about love. So look at what it says, 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says this, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And if you read from the English Standard Version or the ESV, it says this, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, just the initial reading of that, I wonder if some of you are thinking, man, that's not the way I see it. 
Like, that's not how love has played out for me. That's not how my relationships have worked. The, the kind of love that those verses are talking about, I'm not sure that I've ever seen that. Really, it believes all things. Love believes all things. Love endures all things, everything. I mean, that kind of love just sounds naive, doesn't it? You know, open up your eyes. Love that hopes all things, love that endures all, that's not reality. Have you ever seen a love like that? But there's something deeper going on here that we see at first glance, and it has to do with this decision, this choice that I spoke about earlier, that decision I said that all of us make and some of us aren't even aware that we're making. Because in every relationship, there are two factors that come into play uh, when we talk about how we interact with one another. And one of them is our expectations. Our expectations about how our spouse is going to behave, um, how our relationship's going to be, and those expectations are formed by a lot of different things. They're formed with how we grew up, what our parents were like. They're, they're developed over time, over relationships that we're in, things that we've been a part of. They're, they're part of uh, our expectations are what we see in media, on TV and movies, and how love and relationships are supposed to play out. So there's our expectations about how our partner will behave. And then so then the other a factor that comes into play is their behavior, right? And so there is a, a way we expect someone to behave, and then there's the way they actually behave. And when things are really working well, these are real close together, right? If, as, as long as everything is like this, we're good. As long as you behave exactly how I expect, you know, if I expect this is going to happen, uh, then you do it, then we're good. But the problem comes when there's a gap, and in a lot of cases, there is a gap between our expectation and our partner's behavior. There, there's a difference between what we expected them to do and what they did or didn't do. And so he said he'd take out the garbage, but his car just pulled out of the driveway and the trash can is still in the garage. She said she'd be home by 8 to help put the kids to bed, but here it is, it's 8.30. I haven't heard from her. She's not answering my text. I don't know where she is. My expectation was she'd be home by 8. It's 8.30. The behavior is different than the expectation. There's a gap. He said he'd be home in time for supper, but here it is 6.30 and he's not home again. And this is the third time this week. And I expect my husband to be home for supper. How come his behavior doesn't match my expectation? She said she'd be responsible with the finances, but she came home with a new outfit today and it looks nice on her, but man, we got to decide now which utility bill is not going to get paid. So the behavior and the expectations don't match. Time and time again, there's a gap between our expectations and the behavior. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning. Here's the decision we get to make. When this gap occurs, we get to choose how to fill it each time. When any time that our expectation is different than our partner's behavior, we get to choose how we will fill that gap. And we choose one of two things. We can choose to believe the best or we can choose to assume the worst. We can believe the best or assume the worst. And our natural response of how we fill that gap, much like our expectations, will be influenced by a number of different factors. How did your parents respond to the gap? You know, there was a gap with your parents, too, between expectations and behavior. How did they respond to that gap? How did previous relationships play out for you? How has it played out in this relationship when you've responded in a certain way? These all contribute towards your default response when there's a gap between your expectation and behavior. And so what I want, just as we kind of get this going this morning, I want you to be very honest with yourself and say, what is your default response when your partner's behavior doesn't match your expectation for them? Is your default response to believe the best, to believe, to trust positive intentions, or do you assume the worst, assume that they're trying to get under your skin? Now, if you really want to know the honest answer to this, don't look deep down inside your heart, ask your partner. 
but not right now because I got a sermon to preach and that could get really ugly. And so maybe on your way home today or maybe tonight at the dinner table, you bring that up. But your spouse knows the answer to this question. They can, they can see it on your face. They can hear it in your voice. They can feel it in the way you treat them or for the rest of the day or the rest of the evening, the rest of the week or the rest of the month, depending on how bad this gap is between their expectations and your behavior or how bad they failed to meet your expectations. Okay, now before we dive deep, I want to say this. In every relationship, there's a gap between expectations and behavior. In every gap, we have a chance to believe the best or assume the worst. But I want to say this before. There's a small percentage of people in this room where this is not the issue. There's a small percentage of people in this room where your issues are more than just a negative spirit or a bad attitude that snuck in over time. Uh, You've not just messed up in your relationship, but you have intentionally been deceitful. Uh, Some people in this room, and it's maybe 5%, I don't know the number, but some of you have intentionally been deceiving your spouse. And you're sitting here thinking, oh good, I'm glad he's going to say this because now she's got to listen to me. Now he's got to take me back. Now he's got to trust me. And I just want to say, don't use the words of Scripture or the words of this sermon to justify your bad behavior. Some of you, your biggest job when you leave here today is going to be taking your behavior and moving it back towards your spouse's expectation. All right? And so if that's you, uh, I'd love to get you help. We have a partnership with a counseling ministry. I'd love to help you get counseling. Um, we'll, We'll even help you pay for that if there's a need. If you're having an affair, if you're addicted to a substance, If you're abusive to your spouse, your problem is not your spouse's attitude, it's you. You need to get help. You need to look outside for help. But that's maybe 5% of the marriages in this room. And for the rest of us, here's what I think we can learn from 1 Corinthians 13. Many of us, many more than that 5%, jump to assume the worst. That, That you probably have a default response to that gap between expectations and behavior. And you may have responded this way your whole marriage or your whole life. But understand this, the response between assume the worst or believe the best is always, always, always your choice. It's always your choice how you respond to the gap between expectations and behaviors. It's your responsibility. It's a product of of a lot of things, but in the end, it's not out of your control and it's not impossible to change. And what I believe Paul wants us to understand from 1 Corinthians 13, 7 is that the people who stay in love go here. They choose to believe the best and to be generous in their explanations for their spouse's behavior. It may not be the natural response. It may not even be the rational response. But for people who stay in love time and time again, they learn how to believe the best and how to be generous in their explanation for their spouse's behavior. Now, in his book, The One Thing You Need to Know, author Marcus Buckingham shares an illustration of research that was performed on happy Married couples, so happy, successful marriage relationships. What they did was they interviewed uh, people who had been married for 10 years or more and described themselves as happily married. That's the criteria. You had to be 10 years or more married and describe yourself as happily married. And so they asked this question, among these couples, what's the common denominator? So these couples, 10 years married, happily married, uh, 10 years or more, uh, they were different religious backgrounds, uh, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds. They had all kinds of things that were different, but the one thing they had in common was 10 years married, uh, happily married, and they said, okay, what is the common thread that runs through all these marriages? There's, there's, uh, there's, they, they knew um, 
that based on previous studies, they had studied unhappy couples, couples that had been divorced, and what they found was these couples had an unrealistic view of their spouse. So for a couple that had been divorced or was unhappily married, was going through a hard time, what they found was that, um, that I might have an unrealistic view of my wife. I think she's much worse than she is. She might have an unrealistic view of me. She thinks my behavior is much worse than it is. And that was a common thread they found in unhappily married couples. So what they thought was, okay, in these 10-year married couples that are happily married, maybe what the truth is is they have a realistic expectation of one another. They have a real, realistic, sorry, not expectation, a realistic view of their spouse, right? So maybe he's as good as she, he says he is and she's as good as she says he is. But that's not what they found. What they found, in fact, was that the opposite. They studied these couples who had been happily married 10 years or longer, and they saw that they had an unrealistic view of each other, but it was actually unrealistic the other way. That their unrealistic view, the spouses each thought the other was much better than they said they were. So here's what they did. They would ask the husband some questions about how good he was at certain things, at certain aspects in their relationship. And then they would ask the wife to rate him in those same areas. And time and time again, the wife would rate her husband higher than he rated himself. And the husband would rate his wife higher than she rated herself. They consistently rated each other higher in every category over and over again. And so their conclusion from this test was that love is blind. That, that true love is really blind. That, that these happy couples didn't have a realistic view of one another, but rather a generously unrealistic view of their spouse. And, and here's a snippet of their actual conclusion from the study. It says this, the spouse's positive illusion created an upward spiral of love. The illusion created a conviction that they really are this way. That conviction led to security. Security fostered intimacy, and intimacy fostered love. And based off of their study, they offered this advice for having a happy marriage. So here it is from Marcus Buckingham. The advice for having a happy marriage, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and then believe it. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and then believe it. So here's some examples they gave in the study. She's not impatient. She's just intense. Right? He's not insensitive. He's just focused. Right? And so you might see those negative character traits in your spouse and they chose to believe the best explanation for those. Happily married couples, couples who stay in love, find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and then believe it. And so 1 Corinthians 13, 7 makes it clear that in the gap between expectations and behavior that there is a choice for us to make. You have to choose whether to protect or retreat, and love always protects. You have to choose whether you'll trust or mistrust, and love always trusts. You have to choose whether to hope or to fear. You have to choose whether to persevere or to give up. And so let me ask you again, when this gap exists in your marriage... What's your default response? Do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? What do you put in that gap? You get to choose what you put in that gap. Now, I know every marriage in this room has a story, and some of you are thinking right now, if you knew my marriage, if you knew what he did, if you knew what she said to me, I'm, I'm, I'm not ignoring your story. I'm just asking you to be honest about you. Where do you go when this gap exists? Now, in that in mind, let's look back at 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Now, this verse is over 2,000 years old, but it still may be the key for some of you who have grown so far apart that you think it's hopeless and that you'll never have passion again. And maybe, you're, maybe you've said divorce isn't an option, but again, staying in love doesn't look like it's going to really work out. And you don't like it when the phone rings and it's her, or you don't like it when the garage door opens and it's him, but you've decided you're going to stay together 
And it's just become this cycle of negativity because here's what happens. When both of you assume the worst, it's also a cycle that perpetuates itself. You're, you're assuming the worst every time and the thing about assuming the worst is you get to be right just about every time. You know, when you assume, assume the worst and your partner lets you down, you get to be right every time. And, and you probably have a record of wrongs to prove it. See, I told you he'd be late. He's been late every day this week. I knew it would happen again. I told you she'd spend too much. She just has no control when it comes to money. When, when both of you assume the worst, the cycle just perpetuates itself. You get in this cycle and you start looking for it. You start celebrating it. When your spouse messes up, you love to discover they're wrong. And you love winning the argument. And you may win in the argument, but you lose the most important human relationship in your life. And it's your choice every single time what you put in that gap. Now, if we look at 1 Corinthians 13, 7 again, what's it, choosing us to, what's it calling us to choose? It says this, love always protects. Love always protects. What does it protect? It protects the integrity of the relationship. If you're taking notes, write that down. It looks, love looks for ways to protect love. Love looks for ways to keep love alive. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking for more ammunition. I'm looking to protect this relationship. Love chooses that way every time. Love always protects. It says love always trusts. Love always trusts. It's looking for a generous explanation and choosing to believe the best about our partner's behavior. It says, love always hopes. Love always hopes. Love is hopeful for the best explanation. And when I use the word hopeful, I'm not meaning it in the, like the anxious, sort of fearful, well, I hope he doesn't mess up. If, I hope she doesn't spend all our money. You know, no, this is not being filled with hope that there's going to be a great explanation. It's, it's, it's not a worry-filled sentiment, but it's a strong belief that something good is coming. Like, I have hope in you. And then love always perseveres. Love always perseveres. And if you have a hard time spelling that word, just write endures. <laughs> love always endures. And here's what, I, here's what I think we need to understand. Love can be blind without being naive. Okay, love can know all the facts. It's not oblivious to reality. And it still chooses to persevere and still chooses to endure. And there may be times where you'll do your best to protect and to trust and to believe and to hope in the best only to find out the worst. And when you do that, in that moment, there's going to be some hard work to do. It's going to be hard, some hard conversations. There's going to be uh, some pain to work through. But through it all, love chooses to persevere. And so what are you choosing? Have you and your spouse gotten into a cycle of negativity where you're assuming the worst about one another? And you're assuming the worst about her or him, and she's assuming the worst about you, and maybe you've got all kinds of evidence to back it up. Maybe you're completely right. Your spouse is completely wrong. But here's the thing. When you choose to go negative, when you choose to assume the worst, you're a participant in the downfall of your most important human relationship. I mean, even when it seems justified, even when there's a history, every time you go there, you're contributing to the death of your marriage or of your relationship. Now, I want to tell you something that I believe to be true in almost every relationship, and I've counseled countless couples who are going through marital problems or premarital problems or uh, relationship problems, and here's what I find out. In almost every case, this is true. Your spouse doesn't want to disappoint you. In fact, that's the last thing. In most cases, that's the last thing they want. They, don't, they, don't want, they may not be able to communicate it very well. They may not be able to express it to you. They could be horrible at showing it, but your spouse does not want to disappoint you. But no, when you go negative, you communicate to your spouse, no matter what you do, you're not going to measure up. No matter what you do, you're not going to be the person that I expect you to be. You just can't do it. You can't, 
achieve that. And the response, that kind of response will push you and your spouse further and further apart. Now, wouldn't it be easier to just do this? To just eliminate the gap? That's what most of us try to do. We try to change our partner's behavior instead of working in the gap, right? And, and, and honestly, many of us have work to do. Some, some of us, now think about yourself, not about your spouse. Some of us have some work to do to move our behavior closer to expectations. Sometimes it's communication that needs to happen. Um, if I can just talk to the ladies for a minute. Ladies, you are masters at having unspoken expectations for your husbands. That there are things that you expect of your husband that he may never know that you expect of him. And you think, because he's so good at everything else he does, he must be able to read my mind, and so I'm just not going to talk about it. Um, but the problem is, sometimes in the gap, there's no communication. I expected this, but I never talked to him about it. I never told her about it. I never showed her that that was what I expected, and so that's the cause of the gap. And so, in every relationship, in, in, some, some, uh, in, in some situations, there's going to be a gap between expectations and behavior. And so the choice that we have is not how you eliminate the gap, but what you choose to fill it with. And you should choose to fill it, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 7, should choose to fill it with protection and with trust and with hope and with perseverance. Even when every rational thought in your head tells you, she's nuts and I'm right and, I'm the only, and she's the one that ought to and he's the one that needs to and... But when you do that, you communicate to your spouse that I'm disappointed in you. And then when you choose to believe the best and fill the gap with love and protection and hope and perseverance, what you're saying is, I love you. I believe in you. I'm not disappointed in you. I, I desire you. And with that one act, you can break the cycle of negativity in your marriage. Relationships that last, people who stay in love, uh, choose to believe the best. It's not that they don't experience gaps between expectations and behavior. Every couple has gaps. In every relationship, there's going to be gaps between expectations and behavior. But instead of using the gap to make my point, to drive home my point, I'm going to use the gap as an opportunity to show love, to show trust, to show protection, to communicate that I believe in you and I have hope in you. Here's how Jesus summed the whole thing up. Uh, you've heard this uh, in Luke 6:31. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so when we believe the best, when we move from this pattern of assuming the worst to believing the best, what we're doing is we're doing for him or her what we would want him or her to do for us, right? And so this week, maybe that's something you need to try and think, okay, there's a gap now between my expectation and my spouse's behavior. How would I want her to respond in that moment? How would I want him to respond in that moment? And maybe you got to do the same. As soon as you get that phone call, as soon as you get home and those trash cans are still on the street, as soon as you get home and you look through the mail, as soon as you get home and he promised, but he didn't, and she said she would, but she didn't, and she, you know, you make the choice. Am I going to believe the best or am I going to assume the worst? Some of you have to make that choice on the way home today. Some of you are going to have to make it tonight. Some of you are going to have to make it tomorrow. But it's your choice. Am I going to come up with the most generous explanation and believe the best or am I going to assume the worst? Happy couples have learned to believe the best and to fill the gap with trust every single time. Now, I want to tell you why this is so important. It's important because we want to be happy, right? I mean, happy us is better than sad us every time. We, we like our relationships to be happy. We want our marriage to be happy. We want our love relationship, however that is, to be happy. That's important. It's important because we, uh, we have kids that are watching us. We saw those kids on the Father's Day video. 
And they're watching what their dads are doing. They're watching what their moms are doing. And kids, there are some kids growing up that have no idea of what a real love relationship looks like. And we have a chance to model that for them. We have a chance to, by believing the best about our spouse, and by, by choosing to stay in love, we have a, choice to, a chance to model that for the next generation of people growing up. But here, there's one other thing, and this is why I think this is so important, this whole topic of staying in love, why this is so important. There is no better evangelism strategy for the church than to get marriage right. Like, if we just got this one thing right, think about how people outside the church would look at the church and go, oh man, I want what they have. I mean, I don't know what they believe, but I want the kind of relationship that he has with his wife. I want the kind of relationship that she has with her husband. How can I, I don't know about this Jesus thing or this God thing. I'm not sure about that. I don't know what, what the Bible says, but, but how can I get what you guys have? Because what you guys have is something that the rest of this world doesn't offer us. And just think about the, the disciple making that could take place if our marriages looked like the Bible says our marriage is supposed to look. If our marriage was truly a reflection of the way Christ loved the church, which is what scripture says about that. Christians, as believers, we should be able to model this, not because we're better than other people, but because we're so aware of the fact that we're not better than anybody else, that we are sinners who have been forgiven by God's grace and, and learning to extend that forgiveness and that trust to the people we love the most and want to spend the rest of our lives with, that should be a model for us. Our greatest opportunity for impacting culture with our lives, with our behavior, is learning to fall in love and stay in love forever and loving each other the way that God loved us, that Christ loved us. It begins when we understand that God made love a verb when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. It begins by knowing that not only did he send a son to die, but he modeled for us what unconditional love was all about when he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. As Jesus submitted to you on the cross, so we've been invited to submit to one another. Continues by understanding that we've got junk in our heart, that all of us bring baggage into relationships and that we can guard our heart. We've been given a real set of tools to guard our heart and to watch what comes in and out of our hearts to keep an eye on that. And continues as we learn to make this decision every single day of how we're going to bridge the gap between our expectation and our spouse's behavior. I'm going to choose to fill the gap with faith and with trust, not with suspicion, not with hostility. My goal isn't to make points and win arguments. My goal is to fall in love and stay in love forever. So as we learn to do that, perhaps God will raise up a generation of people who understand love in a completely different way. Perhaps God will use us to impact our culture and our country. And as people begin to ask, how is it that you've been able to stay in love? How is it that you're so happy? How is it that you've been able to maintain and make it through everything? How is it that you got through all those difficult times? And you'll be able to say, it's not because we're great. It's not because we're smart. It's because of our Heavenly Father and what He's done for us and what He's done through His Son. If you're not in love, I hope you fall in love. And I hope you get it right. I hope you fall in deep. And I hope you stay there forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, gosh, first and foremost, we thank you for allowing us to address you that way as Father. Uh, for those of us who are in relationships that are working, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. And we just confess that we had so little to do with it, that it was your model, your example, that you are the one who have, have graced our lives. And we thank you for that, Jesus. God, I pray that you give every person here the wisdom to know what to do with what they've just heard. Father, I pray for uh, college students and for young singles who have all this ahead of them. I pray that they get it right the first time. 
I pray that they would move into romantic relationships that are surrendered to you and that they would trust, that they would believe, that they would forgive, that they would deal with the stuff that they're bringing into the relationship and that there would be a new generation of marriages who aren't simply against divorce, but who are for love and for sustaining love. God, I pray for those in this room that have gone through difficult relationships and hard times, whether it's divorce or breakups, and they're looking at this all over again. I pray that you would give them new eyes to see how to stay in love forever. And Lord, I pray that your grace and mercy would flow over all of us and all of our relationships in this room. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.